1 Samuel chapter 16, 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you have a Bible, it's in your Old Testament. If you don't know where it is, it's right before 2 Samuel, and uh, I just still think that joke is always funny. So it's the ninth book in your Bible. Uh, it gets into the history of Israel as they're in the promised land. And if you were here last week, uh, we looked at the first part of 16, but if you weren't, I'll recap it quickly for you. The basic premise is, is that Israel, as they were in the promised land, driving out the other nations as a part of God's judgment on them and their own wickedness, they said they wanted a king like the other nations. And so God gave them what they wanted. And sometimes God doesn't give you what you want, but sometimes God does give you what you want to show you that that thing that you want is still not your God. And that's how it was with the king. And so Saul was made king, but then he disobeyed God. And so God rejected him and anointed, had Samuel anoint whom he had appointed to be the king, a king after his own heart. And that was David. So this is really the story of David being discovered, being developed and being deployed as the king of Israel. But what's so interesting is that he was an artist. David was a musician. He was a worship leader, if you will. And this is all part of our series called Works of Art, where we're talking about our objective of artist development. We want to be the kind of church that plays the role of Samuels in people's lives, where we discover and appoint those or anoint those whom God has appointed and help develop them and then deploy them for the work of mission. All right. So that's the, kind of the background or the history, the story of why we're doing this series. And before we jump into the next part of the story in verse 14, as always, let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. All right. Pray with me. Father, we want to pause as always and recognize our dependence upon you. God, you are the God who never sleeps, you never slumber, but we have to sleep every day. And it takes a lot of faith to sleep, to trust you, to run the world while we're not awake. And God, it's that same faith, it's that same heart that we approach this morning as we get into your word that says, God, we need you. We need you to open our eyes, to open our ears, to see and to hear the truth that's in it. And we know that without your Holy Spirit, that doesn't happen. And so God, would you move today? Would you breathe on us? And for those who don't know you, I pray that you would bring them to yourself and you would save them. And for those that do, God, I pray that you would encourage them and help me to preach this rightly. Help me to be faithful to your word in Jesus name. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 14, and we'll finish out the chapter in verse 23. All right, so let's jump in. Now, the Spirit, capital S, of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servants said to him, behold, now a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. So again, little context of the story. Saul had been rejected because he had disobeyed. And here Samuel tells us that the spirit of the Lord departed from him, and a harmful spirit, lowercase s, was sent from God to torment him. Now, we got to talk about this a little bit because this can seem really weird, really confusing. But when you see in the Old Testament, particularly when the Holy Spirit moves or empowers somebody, that's not always a sign of salvation like in the New Testament. 
Because again, Jesus hadn't come yet. Jesus hadn't done what he, had, what he was going to do with the cross yet. And so in the Old Testament, you would see the Holy Spirit come upon people. And then if they disobeyed, the New Testament would call that grieve the Spirit, then the Spirit would leave them. Now, that's not a term of salvation. This is not about Saul's salvation here because this was for empowerment. God had anointed Saul through Samuel to be king, and so God put his spirit on him to empower him to do what he called him to do. But then once he grieved the Holy Spirit, then the spirit left him. And the reason why that's important to distinguish, because we believe and that the New Testament teaches that once you're saved, you're always saved. So this is not Saul was saved, now he's not saved. This is the spirit empowering him. And then the Holy Spirit leaves him because he grieved the spirit. Then the Bible says that a harmful spirit came and tormented him. But the part of that that is, can be confusing is it says this spirit came from the Lord. Now, depending upon how you translate this word harmful, it can be translated evil. It can also be translated miserable. And so if it's translated evil, the ESV uses harmful if it's translated evil, then we know that that spirit would not come from God in the sense of God does not originate evil. However, we know that God is sovereign and he is sovereign over all evil. And even though he doesn't create evil, mankind under the influence of the devil who rebelled before we were ever created, we create evil. But somehow, in some way, and I don't understand all the answers to this, in God's sovereignty, evil passes through his hands. So one interpretation could be that this is the devil sending a demon to torment him, and God's allowing it to happen. And so that could be the case. Or it could be that this spirit, remember, God created all the angelic beings, a third of them rejected God, followed the devil, but he still has two thirds of them, which means he's twice as powerful. And so he has angels that go out and exact judgment on people. So this could be an angel, a spirit of the Lord, who's coming to judge Saul. And therefore, if that's the case, it's not evil. It could just be making Saul miserable, but it's not evil. And the reason why this is important to distinguish is because God is not the author of evil. He's not the creator of evil. It does pass through his hands. But sometimes God, what we think is evil, is just God judging us, which we would just call consequences from our choices. Either one of those interpretations I think is okay because we find those interpretations elsewhere in scripture. And so apparently angels aren't these little, you know, chubby creatures with wings that just fly around and sprinkle, sprinkle love dust on people like Cupid, right? I mean, these are some scary people, but not people, some scary beings. Anytime they show up in the Bible, people fall down in fear, right? So you may have some cute angels, you know, over your house, protected by angels, right? And, and apparently they're not these little cute, you know, you know, there's these fiery, crazy beings, which is what you want protecting your house, right? You want Cupid or do you want a warrior, right? I mean, come on. Either way, it's fine. But the point is this. The point is that David has already been anointed by God to be the next king. And because of Saul's disobedience, he's now being tormented. And what I find so interesting is that Saul's servants come up with a solution to his spiritual problem, and it is, king, let us go get you a worship leader. Let us go get you a man 
who is skillful in playing. And when this harmful spirit comes, he can come and play, i.e. lead worship for you and you'll be well. And the concept there of well means healthy. It's about a disposition. And here's what I want to point out. And we'll circle back around this at the end of the message and the end of the story, because you'll see it again. What I want to point out is this. It is so important for us to have people and to be a people of worshipers. Because when worship goes up, wellness comes down. Let me say that again. When worship goes up, when we sing to God, wellness comes down. Now, I'm not saying every time you have a knee ache or a back ache, grab your guitar and start worshiping like God deal with this ache. <laughs> Remember, this is a spiritual thing. Saul's being tormented spiritually. So that would mean he has worry, anxiety, he's fearful. And yet, his men devise the solution let me go get you a song leader. Let me go get you a guy who's skillful, who can play music. And we know music has a unique way to touch the soul, doesn't it? Music has a unique way to heal things. You know that when you're desperate or you're depressed and a certain song comes on, it changes the, the mode of your heart. And this is why when we are depressed, it's important to look at what kind of music we're listening to. Because here's what I know to be true. Whatever you focus on gets bigger. Let me say that again. I didn't get any amens out of that one. All right, whatever you focus on gets bigger. Amen. amen. You guys are quick learners. All right, that's good. Jasper, I know you were with me. All right. Whatever you focus on gets bigger. Whatever you say yes to has more power over you. So the point is this. I don't know what your week was like. But if you've had words or things happen to you that have drugged your spirit down, the solution is to gather together with the people of God and let worship go up. Because when worship goes up, your eyes are lifted up. And when your eyes are lifted up, like the psalmist says, I lift my eyes up to the hills to see where my help comes from. When your eyes are lifted up, your God becomes bigger and your problems become smaller. That's an important thing. And so what I'm saying to you here is this. You and I need to learn how to be worshipers. You are an artist. You do have within you the ability to respond back to God with the clay that he's given you. And you may not be the best singer in the world. That's okay. Be like me. Put on headphones and mow grass and sing your lungs out, right? Because you know what it does? It changes the disposition of your heart. It reminds your problems that your God is bigger. So sometimes you got to look in the mirror and remind your problem, which is what you see in the mirror, that your God is bigger. And that's what worship does. So here's what I'm I want to point out. Again, one of our objectives is artist development. And so as a church, it's so important for us to discover and develop artists that can lead us out in worship every week so that our spirits can be lifted. Our souls can be healed. And that's what we want to be as a church. We want to be Samuels, again, that are discovering and developing artists that can lead us out in worship because the people of God benefit. Just a little side note here. I know this is the weekend of, you know, before fall break, and there's a lot of you at Disney. Hello, I'm glad you're watching online. That's great. Take a break. But here's what I'm saying. Don't get out of the rhythm of meeting together weekly with the people of God. 
Don't be like the trend of people that are coming to services less and less often because they can get information in podcasts and and live streams. Because if you do that, you'll miss out on being in a service and borrowing the faith of the people that are singing with you. I was just in service singing and I could hear people singing behind me and, and knowing that I am joining in singing with them and we are all calling for God to do something in us. And it reminds me that if God is big enough for my problems, or if he's big enough for their problems, he's big enough for mine. So this is important. And I just want to point out that it's so interesting that the solution that his servants come up with is let's go get a singer. Now, what kind of singer? Look at verse 18. One of the young men answered, behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence. Here's the most important part. And the Lord is what? With him. The Lord is with him. Now, I pointed this out last week, and I think it bears to be repeated again, that David was just singing songs of worship to his God with the sheep. I could point out that the sheep in New Testament referred to the people of God. So you just need to keep singing with the sheep, which is what I was talking about. All right. So David's just singing with the sheep. He's just out in the field, literally singing with the sheep. And don't you know, he was looking up in the sky and looking at the stars and he was writing Psalms and he would say things like this in the Psalm. You laid out those stars by the fingers of your hand. So he was just singing. He wasn't trying to be discovered. And then lo and behold, God sends Samuel to David's house, Jesse's, and he gets all of his sons except David, which again, his own father didn't recognize the anointing on his life. And then David comes, he's anointed king, and now he's back out with sheep. And it just so happens that a servant of Saul recognized him. I have seen this son of Jesse. What do you think the chances are of that? David's out with the sheep and a servant of the king discovers him. It may take a little while for people to get on board in discovering what God's already discovered. But here's my point to you, and I said it last week, I'm going to say it again. Don't work to be discovered. Just sing with the sheep. David wasn't going up to Saul's house, passing out his (laughs) mixtape. Have you heard my songs with the sheep? He wasn't saying like, here's my iTunes, here's my Spotify, here's my CDs, here's my eight tracks. I'm hitting all the ages, all right? No, he wasn't trying to be discovered. He was just out singing with the sheep. And lo and behold, one of Saul's servants has seen him. That's not a coincidence, my friends. It's not a coincidence. So here's my point. Don't work to be discovered. Work to be developed. Do what you do because you want to be the best at what you do, not because you need somebody to discover you being the best at what you do. And this applies in every area, not just with artists. Whatever gift and skill God has given you, notice the first thing that this God, this servant has seen about David is he's skillful in playing. Now, how did he get skillful? Playing in front of large crowds? Yeah. 
large crowds of sheep. So he was discovered in the darkness. He was developed in the darkness. Isn't that interesting how they used to develop photos before digital came out was in the darkness? And what was there was already there. It just took the darkness to develop it. And we'll get into that more in just a second. I just want to point out to something. Don't work to be discovered. Work to be developed. David was skillful. And the reason why he was skillful is because he was doing it when no one else was watching. Now, this is true. Again, we know this in any kind of form. If you're an athlete, if you're a scientist, whatever it is, if you're in school, whatever skill or trade that you have, we know that when the pressure is on, you will sink to the level of your training. When a crisis mounts, you will sink. We don't rise to the occasion. We sink to the level of our training. The problem with us is so many of us have skipped out on the development process that we fall way too far. This is why, again, we know if you don't practice when no one else is seeing, you'll fail when everybody is seeing. So it's so important to be developed when no one else is looking. And I just want to point that out about David. He was skillful in what he was doing in playing music because he was just doing it for his God and he wanted to be the best. He was just skillful in playing. Now, another thing that's so important, the bookend at the end, and I had you say it, is the Lord was with him. Now, this phrase here, with, is a context for relationship. So literally, you could bookend it like this. He was skillful, and the Lord was with him. That's the title of my message today. Skillful, and the Lord was with him. It rhymes in my head. I don't know if it does or not. But those are the two sides of a coin that we're looking for in artists. Those that the Lord is with and those who are willing to develop their skills. But here's the thing. Most often we fall off on one of those. Sometimes there are people who the Lord is with. They've got the right spirit. They've got the right heart. But again, they're not willing to put in the work to be skillful. They're not willing to put in the work to be developed. They're not willing to grind it out, right? When no one else is looking because it's hard. But then there are those that are skillful. They've got all the skill in the world. These are the people that you love to hate. Like they were just born skillful, right? And I, and I use hate loosely. But the point is this. They don't have the right spirit. They've got the right talent, but they don't have the right character. And here's what you need to understand. Talent can get you on the stage, but character will keep you there. Integrity, which means to be integrated, which means you are the same off it as you are on it. Both are important. And so you may be the type of person that you got the right spirit, and yet your skills just need to be developed. Here's the good news. We want to be a church that helps develop you. From kids to students all the way up to adults. You may not know this, but we have worship leaders in our kids' ministry that are also kids. My own daughter, eight years old, she loves music. She loves singing. She loves dancing. It's just inner. And so we're just a singing, dancing house. We'll play music. And we're all singing and dancing. And, and I can't wait for the day. And my daughter always already says that about me singing, Dad, don't sing. But I can't wait for the day that she's like, y'all to quit dancing. You're embarrassing me, right? But she just loves that. And she had an opportunity to do what's called Rev Hype in Rev Kids, which is where she's now old enough to lead a few grades below her, where she's on stage doing hand motions to the songs that they do. 
And she was nervous and freaked out and her best friend Ansley was doing it. And so she did it, you know, cause she was doing it. She did it last weekend. She did also. But this weekend, her best friend Ansley's gone, and so she had to do it herself, and she was all nervous about that. But from a young age, at eight years old, she's got to develop that skill to learn what it's like to be in front of people and leading. So she was watching all the training videos, because we got training videos. Brittany, one of our team members, doing all the hand motions, and so her and Lindsay in my house all the last two weeks doing all these hand motions. If you didn't know what was going on, you're like, they're crazy. But she's got the right spirit. She's just developing the skill. Students, you come to a student service, more than likely, most of the musicians and artists on stage are students. We love that. We want to be a development culture. We have worship leaders that lead in our elementary uh, age group for kids and all the way into adults. And so you may not think that you're that skillful, but you have the right spirit, but we're here to help you develop in your skill. But don't miss this, and we'll get into this. Just because you have the right skill doesn't mean you've been developed into the right person. And we also want to help you do that. And I want to point out how David also goes through this process. Look at the next few verses. Verse 19. Therefore, Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David, his son, to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his what? Let's try that again. If you're new, I'd like for you to call and respond with me. All right. Entered his what? Service. Service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my what? Service, Service for he has found favor in my sight. Now, don't miss this. In the same chapter, David is anointed king. And then he's put in service to the king. Don't miss that. David's anointed king. And he's put into service of the king. And best we can tell, he was in his service for about 15 years. Why in the world would God reject Saul as king, anoint a new king in David, because we know David was probably a teenager during that time. And then take David, the new anointed king, and put him in service of the old rejected king. Why would God do that? Let me give you my theory in a point, and then we'll unpack it. God put King Saul over David to kill the King Saul in David. Let me say this again. Again, I... It's my theory. God put King Saul over David to kill the potential King Saul in David. You know what I know to be true? God appoints people to do certain things. And then other people like Samuel anoint them. But your anointing can make you arrogant. Let me say that again, and that's not just good alliteration, that's good preaching. Your anointing can make you arrogant. Why in the world would God anoint a future king and then put him in service of a rejected king? You want to know why? Because David was entered into God's school of service and suffering. God had to root out in David the potential 
to be the same kind of king. And how did he do it? By making him submit to a spiritually suffering king. And David did it. David remained in his service. Now in chapter 16, Saul says, he's found favor in my sight. I love this song leader. I love this guy because he comes in and he sings songs and he refreshes my spirit and I feel better. So in chapter 16, David is loved by Saul. In chapter 17, David kills Goliath. And then the people start singing back to David. Saul's killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And then in chapter 18, Saul hates David. In two chapters, we look at that. He went from being loved to being hated. So much so that David was in there playing for Saul to, to help soothe his soul. And Saul got so bitter, so jealous that he picked up a spear and he hurled it at David. You want to know what's crazy though? The Bible says he did that twice. So you know what that means? David stayed for the second spear. He didn't leave after the first one. And can you just imagine this scenario? He's sitting there playing the harp, the lyre, and then all of a sudden he's like, what's all doing? Right? A spear in his hand? I don't know, I guess somebody's coming to the door. He's afraid, you know. Oh, wait, he's throwing it at me. (laughs) Our camera guy's got to be quick, right? I can't like reflexes. (laughs) I might be 40, but I'm still quick, baby, right? (laughs) Toby Keith, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was, right? (laughs) But after the first spear, Saul keeps playing. And you know the phrase, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on Apparently that that didn't come from David. (laughs) Because he's continuing to sing over his king that's gone mad. And he throws a spear at him a second time. This time, you got to know that David knows what he's trying to do. But you know what David doesn't do? When spears were thrown at him, he didn't pick them up and throw them back. He just kept worshiping his God. Friends, understand something. God's going to enroll you in his school. And it's his school of service and his school of suffering after he anoints you to do the mission he's called you to. And you better believe, my friends, That when you're in leadership, people will throw spears at you. People that once loved you are now trying to kill you. And they may not be physical spears, but they may be spears of gossip. They may be spears of hatred. And in that moment, you and I have a choice to make. Are we going to keep worshiping our God and submitting in that circumstance? Or are we going to pick up the spear and throw it back? But you know what I think David believed? I think David believed he would rather die than become like Saul. He'd rather be killed than become a crazy king. And so God put David in the service of a crazy king, of a king that had gone mad, that had been rejected, that was being tormented, all so that David could learn the type of king he didn't want to be. 
And here's what I'm saying to you. So many times in those moments, you and I, God has appointed us, someone has anointed us, and we've been raised up into the house of God, and somehow, some way, God sovereignly puts someone over us that we think there's no way in the world I want to be like her, I want to be like him, and therefore it goes bad, and we're wounded, and we're hurt, and we leave. But when that happens, we miss out on the pruning of God in our own life. So here's what I'm saying to you. God puts King Saul's over you to kill the King Saul's in you. And if you reject the authority that God has put over you, then you will miss out on the discipline of development that God is doing in you. Let me give you a verse. You don't have to turn there, but Isaiah 64, 8, it's on the screen. It says this, but now, O Lord, this is Isaiah talking. You are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. The Bible likes to use this metaphor often. Paul picks it up even in the book of Romans, and it's used several times throughout the Bible. And the concept is this. God is our father. And what kind of father is he? He is a father who fashions us. And how does he fashion us? First, he creates the clay. And then he puts the clay on his potter's will. And if you've ever seen the movie Ghost, that's the only one I could think of that came to mind, right? He's shaping this into this pot. And then all of a sudden it's spinning around. It's looking beautiful. And then he'll go, fuck. Like, did you see a fly? Like, what happened? Why did you just crush that? And here's what we got to know. The potter can see the cracks in the clay that the clay can't see. Our God is a father who forms and fashions us so that we can become priceless works of art. And all I'm saying to you is so many of God's people quit in the middle of the submitting to those that God has put over them. And therefore, they miss out on the development and the potential of the type of people they could have been. Let me say it to you like this. Those who God uses greatly, he first wounds deeply. Don't miss this, friends. Those who God uses greatly, he wounds deeply. If you would allow me just for a second, again, to kind of pick up in my story. I shared a little bit last week of you know, listening to my Walkman and singing to Jesus while I was mowing the grass and God put me for whatever reason in leadership. I wanted to run away from the American church. I wanted to be a missionary. I've said this before, but my first date with my wife, I told her, if you don't want to be a missionary in a hut in Africa, don't marry me. And I tried so hard my sophomore year in college to go be a missionary. And God said, no, I want you to go serve at this church. And so I did. And it was in that church that God started developing me And then that's where I met my wife. I got married. I started going to seminary. And then God gave me another opportunity to go be a student pastor of a church down in South Texas in a city called Corpus Christi, which means body of Christ. And while I was there, I was a part of a church plant that was young. It was only five years old at the time. Interestingly enough, the same age that I got here to revolution. It's almost like there's a God. And I got the chance to build a student ministry from the ground up. My wife and I, we moved down there literally For our one-year anniversary, we sat in the membership class of this new church. Don't tell me you can't come to stewardship or welcome dinner, all right? I came on my anniversary, homie, all right? Little, Little side note. And so we were there 
my wife and I got to build this great student ministry. And I told my pastor when I came, because I met him at a church planning conference, I said, hey, I'd love to be, and I just threw this number out there. It's not like I was God, but I said, I just, I'd love to be here for about five years, build a student ministry up, and then go plant a church. And he said, that's great. We've got a vision of planting churches. And so you come work with us for five years. We'll help you, and then we'll send you out. Awesome. I was there for seven years. And it was some of the best five years of my life. About year five, we were a successful student ministry. I was working with student pastors all over the country. I was working with Saddleback Church out in California, Rick Warren, great church, was even offered a job there at one point. And I was, you know, kind of this up and coming student pastor. And guess what? I believed it. And so I started kind of wrestling with where I was and even wrestling with my pastor. And I, I had this kind of mantra about myself that if my pastor would just listen to me, then all of his problems would be fixed, right? Because, I mean, come on. I mean, look at what I've done. And so about year five, I told my pastor, I said, hey, I think we're ready to start you know, looking at planting a church. He's like, great. So I wanted to go to the Northeast because most statistics were saying that that was the, gonna be the largest concentration of unchurched people. So we flew into Pittsburgh, then we drove to Cleveland, and that was like pre-LeBron era, right? Like it wasn't as awesome. Um, actually, I think that was during the time when he moved to Miami, so it really went downhill during that time. We drove to Columbus, Ohio, where Ohio State was, and I was like, surely not here, Lord. And um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but, but literally, in, in those cities, God said, no, this is not it. This is not it. And I, I didn't see it in the sky and I didn't hear it audibly, but I felt in my spirit, the Lord say this to me, Jason, you go back to Corpus Christi, Texas and you shut your mouth and you submit to your pastor. Uh, come again? Yeah. So I went back and I told my pastor, hey, how'd it go? How'd it? I said, God said I was to come back here to shut my mouth and submit to you. And if I'm the student pastor here for the rest of my life and no one ever knows my name, I'm okay. I'll serve your vision. And what was amazing during that time, because again, it was relationally, it was hard for both of us. And he would say the same thing because he literally thought that I might leave and start a church in the same town. And so he brought me in one day and he said, hey, would you, are you planning to start a church here in Corpus? And I said, no, for two reasons. Number one, I love you. I would never do that to you. Number two, I hate this city. And so no, <laughs> I don't want to live here. But here's the cool part of the story. We just started serving and kept our mouth shut. Unbeknownst to us, in 2009, there was this church that was almost in the Northeast in Canton, Georgia. <laughs> in the South. And they needed a new pastor. And don't you know that the guy that the church hired to get their next pastor was from the same hometown as my pastor, was friends with my pastor, who called my pastor and said, do you know anybody who would like to take this church? He said, yeah, I think my student pastor would. I don't miss this. The calling on my life came 
from the man I submitted to. It came through him to me. And I believe in God's sovereignty. God did not let me start a church. You want to know why? Because I'd be way too tempted to think it was my own church. But I'm under no illusion now because revolution was here before me. It'll be here after me. It ain't my church. You ain't my people. And the reason why I want to share that with you is because I want you to see that this is how God works. God will appoint you in his sovereignty. He will have somebody anoint you. He will bless you. And then he will crush you. And in that crushing, you're going to feel like God has abandoned you. In that crushing, you're going to feel like God has forgotten you. In that crushing, you're going to feel like, God, but you gave me this vision. I don't know what you're doing. And in that, God reminds you, it's not your vision. It's mine. You're just the vessel I'm using. And when you're broken, then you pour out my spirit. God doesn't need just skillful people. God needs broken people that see themselves as clay in his hands and say to him, form me and fashion me to be like Christ. Because more important to me than this vision or this thing or this calling is Christ. And God's ultimate goal And wounding you deeply is so that he can use you greatly. I mean, think about Jesus. Was there any other human being that was used as greatly as Jesus? That'd be a no. Is there any other human being that was wounded as deeply as Jesus? No. They go together, my friends. Don't despise God's school of suffering and sacrifice. And when God, in his sovereignty, places you underneath people and tells you to submit to them, don't despise that because that is his development of you. Don't quit. Don't walk out. And for God's sake, please don't throw spears. Because if you throw spears, then you're doing the opposite of what Romans 12 says. Romans 12 says, do not repay evil with more evil. But when you throw spears, you've just saw that, yes, you are a king, but you are a king in the order of Saul, not of David. You're a king, not in the soul. God traces Jesus's lineage back to David, not to Saul. My friends, you'll want to throw spears. You'll want to talk back. You'll want to throw out vague lobs on Twitter. Like You won't mention names, but you'll just throw it out there. Or on Facebook. Don't you do it. You shut your mouth. And you submit to the discipline of the Lord. Because Hebrews 12 says, he's treating you as sons. Last verse, 1 Samuel 16, 23, and then we're done. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. I want to close with this, and I mentioned it earlier. The reason why we need women and men 
whom God has appointed and Samuels have anointed and they've gone through his school of suffering and sacrifice is so that for the moment, God can use them greatly to bless his people. It's amazing to me that God appointed an artist, a worship leader as a king. And you read parts of the rest of the Old Testament, the Levites who were the worship leaders of the people of Israel, they used the instruments of David, instruments that David made because David was a worshiping warrior because worship was his warfare. And so as a church, what I'm saying is this, not only do you and I have to go through this process of God forming and fashioning us and, and worship is going to be what keeps our eyes focused on him and not the bigness of our problems, but the bigness of our God. The reason why we need people to go through that is because the type of artists and leaders that we need among us are those who are leading out in that kind of way so that God's people can be healed, can be refreshed. Don't miss that, friends. We need worship of a big God. And God wants artists and leaders to be raised up in his house for his people. And how he does that is through this process. And when he does that, and you and I don't despise it, and we don't tap out and go to another church, but we stay and we're developed in that process, then he'll place us in the presence of kings, and you and I will get to change worlds with our worship. Don't miss this. Words create worlds. God spoke a word and a world was created. And I would say equally, worship creates worlds. When we use our words back as worship to him, new worlds are created in people's hearts. New atmospheres Things change in the spiritual realm when worship from God's people goes up, being led by artists and leaders who are broken vessels that are just worshipers themselves. My friends, when that happens, you better watch out. I hope that our church becomes a more worshipful church where we come in expecting every Sunday to go after it in worship because we're fighting for our life. But we're not fighting with spears. We're not using the tools of the world. We're fighting with our words. Because when that happens, we'll be healed and so will others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for stories like this of how you worked in David because you're the same. How you worked in David is how you work in us. And we need to know that. We need to know that if no one else sees us, you see us. We need to know that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but you saved us. And you didn't save us because we were awesome. You saved us because we were dead. 
You have no problem discovering your people. And so God, I pray that we would submit to this process of allowing you to form us. So often you put us in these circumstances against our will, but it's for our good. And God, I know there's a lot of us that we're just struggling because we feel like we're working in jobs where we're not appreciated. We work for bosses that are horrible. But all that is just preparation for the calling that you have on our life. You're putting us through the school of service and sacrifice and suffering to help us become a different kind of leader than the one we're called to submit to. We're just learning what not to do. But help us not to become bitter and throw spears. Help us to serve and learn how to duck and trust you. I love that David would rather die than become like the world. And may that be our mantra. God, I pray right now for anybody who doesn't know you. They don't have the Holy Spirit. We know that we are saved because your Holy Spirit opens our eyes and then we respond in faith. And I know there are some here that that has not happened. And I pray right now you'd open their eyes so they could respond in faith. No one looking around or talking here. I just want to, for a second, offer the hope of the gospel to say God knows you. And he loves you, so he sent his son to die for you. And right now, if he's opening your eyes, don't resist that, but respond. I'm gonna give you a chance to pray if you wanna trust Christ, and I'm just gonna ask you to pray with me, not out loud. If you wanna be saved, it goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son in my place for my sin. I believe that Jesus is the only way. I ask you to save me, forgive me. I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Again, nobody looking around or talking, but if you just pray that for the first time, very simply, would you just lift up your hand so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women are gonna walk around, put a gift in your hand when they do. You can put that down. But then those of us whom God is developing, maybe he's developing you in the dark and you feel like nobody sees your skill, nobody sees your spirit. You keep singing. You keep serving. And you trust God to orchestrate. Because when he does it, you can't take credit for it. And that's the way it needs to be. But maybe some of you, you've been enrolled in God's school of suffering and sacrifice and pain and problems. And God intentionally put you there and you fought and you fought and you fought and you tried to get out. And then you finally gave up and then God said, now I can form you. 
please hear me tell you, don't resist the hands of your father. He is crafting you into a priceless work of art. And the reason why he gave you a vision was not just because of what he wanted to do through you. It's because of what he wanted to do in you. So submit to whoever you need to submit to. Say to your father, I trust your hands. Form me as you see fit. Father, we ask you to do it. We trust you to do it. We know you love us more than we love ourselves. You know you can, we know you can see the cracks that we can't see. We know sometimes you're going to crush us. Sometimes you're going to break us. And you do that because you know that we've got the skill, but we don't have the development yet. Our souls aren't in line with your spirit. And so God, give us the grace. Give us the favor to stay when our flesh wants us to leave. To shut up when our flesh wants us to throw spears. And to say back to you, thank you for loving me enough to enroll me in your suffering. Because I know that if I suffer with Christ, I will stand with him in glory. God, thank you for that. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.